Welcome to X-Rated. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Whedon. I'm another one of your hosts, Matthew Fisher. This is a podcast about movies by two guys who used to date, and now they don't. But they are currently both hungover. <laughs> yeah. Independently. Yeah. It was just, it was a nice Sunday. I mean, you're a bartender, so like, you know, drinking's part of the job. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, people don't trust you. I like a bartender who drinks. Otherwise, I feel like I'm being poisoned. Yeah, you know, I get off work. Dealing with people for seven hours is annoying. Mm-hmm. You know, I do. I, I imbibe but with But you're you. dealing with drunk people, so they're jovial and they're happy and they're they're mm-hmm. carefree, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The oh, yeah. Real salt of the earth types. <laughs> people only get more manageable when they're drunk, right? <laughs> Bartending is basically glorified adult babysitting. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just got to make sure everyone's... You just make sure they got their Behaving bottle. well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, put them in the corner if they're not. <laughs> so, last week, I was at yoga and I was changing in the locker room okay. afterwards. And, I mean, just between us girls, I, 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 I'll look around. Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I try not to be conspicuous about it, but, you know. I I leer. (laughs) Get out my phone. And I swear to God, there was one guy who, I think he noticed me liking it and was, like, showing off. Because, like, the way that he, like, angled himself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. while changing could not have been more beneficial to my view. Like, if I went... I could have, like, blown the hairs out of his butt. <laughs> he chose a, a bottom locker, so, like, he just, like, would be constantly bent over. Hmm. And then he also did it, like, in front of a mirror, so, like, I could see, like, the front and the back. Hmm. And, boy, and he, we're talking, like, a nine body. He clearly, like, does a lot of yoga. Oh, wow. And, like, he just, he didn't seem any, in any hurry to get to class. And I was like, there's a million other ways that he could undress that would be less revealing to me. (laughs) Were you the only two in the locker room? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe he was hoping it would turn into a... Yeah, me too. ...a situation. (laughs) Yeah. Well, why why didn't anything happen? (sighs) It just feels so wrong. Anyone can walk in. That's what makes it so hot. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I mean, he was going to a class as I was leaving. Oh, okay. And immediately after yoga, I don't necessarily look my best. My I'm usually a little hot and sweaty mm-hmm. and massively dehydrated. Maybe he's into that. <laughs> yeah. He likes the depleted look. <laughs> Desiccated. <laughs> Sometimes I'll be thinking if, I, if I'm doing yoga and looking around the room, I, I will think to myself, I hope I get to see that guy naked <laughs> later. <laughs> There's one guy there, A, he, he enjoys the exercise of yoga, but I think he's also there just kind of to show off a little bit. Oh, yeah. He kind of peacocks around, and really, if he if it were socially acceptable for him to do it naked, I think he would. Oh, yeah. Because he wears, like, really short jogging shorts, mm-hmm. and that's it, but they're not necessarily very tight jogging shorts. Oh, yeah. So, one time I was practicing, and there was a dude in front of me who was wearing kind of baggy shorts, 
And so there's a pose where you like reach behind and grab your foot and like lift it up, leaning down and like you, you grab pull like your leg the arch up. of your foot and like yeah, kick pull it back, up. but like chest and arm go forward. forward. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So we're doing that that pose and as he's lifting up his leg, I can see directly into the baggy part of his shorts mm. and he was not wearing any underwear or anything mm-hmm. under there and it was just like a big, wet, <laughs> hangy, like the most unsexy thing you could think of. And I mean, that room's like 110 degrees anyway, uh-huh. so it's like I'm already kind of not thinking about those things at the moment, but ugh. I, I really, it's something I was, you know, could have been really excited about. Now I'm like, oh, I hope everyone's wearing tighter clothes. Yeah. I mean, that's that's basically like how his sack looked is how I feel after <laughs> yoga. And maybe people are into that. I don't know. If that's your if that's your bag, go for it. But it was not, not for me <laughs> in that moment. But yeah, that is one of the nice parts about yoga is that there are just some beautiful specimens there. Mm-hmm. One of the classes at last week, because when I leave, I'm just like done for the night. Like yeah. I'm like mentally and physically just exhausted. Mm-hmm. And one of the girls in there was like, oh yeah, I can't make it tomorrow. You know, I got blah, blah, blah. So I'm just going to stay for the next class today. And I'm like, you're doing two of these in a row? <laughs> There's only a 15-minute break between these classes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. There's times I've thought about doing a double, but I've heard stories of, you know, like, you're feeling pretty good afterwards, and you're like, I'll, I'll try it. But then, like, as soon as the class starts and you stand back up, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. What have I done? <laughs> I, I can't even imagine doing it. It's like I put everything into that first class, and there's just sweat surrat like when i roll up my mat there's you can see the impression that it left uh-huh. from like based on the sweat around it and yeah i don't think i could do two in a row Oof. yeah one's plenty yeah I, I i don't ever want to be that that guy who's just yoga all day every day forever when you were talking about the hot specimens that you do see sometimes in yoga i was thinking uh I've been kind of working through a mild depression lately, and uh, some of the things that make me happy that I was thinking about on my ride over here are, well, you know, I like this podcast, so that makes me happy, and, uh, you know, sometimes I get to see cute animals and uh, hot guys, (laughs) so, you know, life's not all bad. Uh, I used to follow that that Tumblr, it was like, uh, cute guys with cats. Uh Oh, perfect. Yeah, and it was just like cute boys, and like, they'd be like reading or something and like a cat would be in their lap or like doing something fun with them yeah i love it yeah it's like great taste that tastes great together (laughs) um uh is your yoga studio gonna mail us a check for this uh (laughs) that we've been doing or uh i mean we could talk about this off the pod too but ready to talk about today's movie i am ready great because i am too (laughs) glad we met up then yeah (laughs) otherwise we'd just be both (laughs) frustrated (laughs) today's movie is the 2010 flick by bobcat goldthwaite world's greatest dad wrote and directed it stars robin williams 
and it's a dark comedy. If you like, say, Big Fan, mm-hmm. this movie's probably right up your alley. Yeah. Where it's it's a, a dark, dark comedy that, I mean, really, like, walks that fine line of, like, not even being a comedy anymore. Yeah. With our lead that's not particularly likable. We yeah. sympathize with his plight, but... uh you know he wants to 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 do good but it's it kind of spirals out of his hands yeah. out of control in a way that uh is entertaining at least yeah long long ago in the early days of the podcast mm-hmm. i remember you would say like oh well we got to get a bobcat goldthwait movie on here oh yeah and i was like does he have enough movies that like it's a thing like is is he a thing as uh. a director that we'd have to get one on there he's done five movies i think right yeah, and he's directed like some comedy specials mm-hmm. uh, for other comedians and things like that too. Yeah, I mean, he's my second favorite panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. <laughs> I assume your first is Paula Poundstone. Of course, of course, of course. Remember that uh, Canadian mayor that like smoked crack? Oh, Rob Ford. Is it? Yeah, is it Rob Ford? I think so. Yeah, and he was like caught on video smoking crack. Yeah, and Bobcat Goldthwait was like. Where where do people even get crack? I've never seen crack in my life, and I've opened for Nirvana. <laughs> That's funny because uh, Chris Novoselic is in this movie. Did you notice that? No. Yeah, he's the when uh, Robin Williams is like crying out at that like porno stand. That's mm-hmm. on like. I think that's like third and I think it's third and like Marion. Yeah, something yeah. like that. There's like that weird plant flower store there. When he's crying there, the the guy who runs the like magazine thing is Chris Novoselic. It is. It is. God, I watched this movie twice for the podcast, and I did not notice that. Yeah, I didn't. I, and I 100 percent know who you're talking about. But... I read it later, but yeah. Told oh, him. crazy! Yeah, he got to hug Robin Williams. <laughs> oh wow. But yeah, I I actually really like Bobcat Goldthwait movies. I I actually haven't seen two of them yet. I haven't seen the, the one about America with like the gun culture one that just came God out. God bless America. God bless America. And I mean that's I, like from like 2012. Yeah, and I haven't seen uh, Willow Creek, which is his horror movie that just pretty recently. I came haven't out. seen that. I I have seen God bless America, and then uh, Shakes the Clown. I saw uh, as part of like a drug and alcohol in media class oh okay i kind of like shakes the clown it's not a great movie by any means but i just remember there's like this old clown and she's uh, like i got that peanut butter pussy brown smooth and easy to spread that one's stuck with me for some reason <laughs> but i like i really liked um sleeping dogs lie i didn't see that and, one. and um and this movie i think i saw this one first and then i kind of went back and I saw this one when it uh, played at SIF mm-hmm. in 2010. Um, I don't know if that was like the world premiere or the North American premiere or something, but I mean, the movie also was filmed it's, in yeah, Seattle. Yeah, that was a fun thing watching it this time, seeing like the signs for the parks and in the background and uh, things like that. Robin Williams goes to see a movie at, at the old Guild 45, yeah, yeah, which yeah, yeah. went out of business about a year ago, like all those landmark theaters did. Sad. Yeah, it is a little I saw sad. lots of good movies there. I saw lots of good movies there. I saw Grand Budapest Hotel there. I saw uh, Schenectady, New York there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, it's big pink theater. It's hard to miss in that in the movie. Yeah. When you saw it, did you know anything about it other than like it had Robin Williams? No, no. I, I think that's kind of the best way to go into it because I also didn't know. I just went on somebody's recommendation that okay. this was a good movie. I was like, okay, I'll give this a shot. And uh, really liked it. And I really liked the twist that happens at the end of the first act, which... I mean, we're going to have to spoil it here, but like, I did not know that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, neither did I. No, I, I knew very little about it. It's just, you know, a lot of times at SIF, especially when like back in those days, like I would try and see like t- two or three movies at SIF a week. And really like the ones that kind of draw you just naturally are the ones that have stars in it that you've heard of. Yeah. And so I I knew who Bobcat Goldthwait was. I don't remember where I first heard of him. He's kind of like... He's one of those comedians who's always kind of been there. Yeah. Like, I remember seeing him and stuff, like, as a kid. Yeah. Uh, One Crazy Summer is where I first learned of him. Oh, what's that? It's some movie with, uh, I want to say, John Cusack. uh, Okay. And it's just sort of like a summer comedy movie. And there's a part where Bobcat Goldthwait is wearing, like, a giant Godzilla suit. And somebody throws a lit cigarette in the suit and he ends up like stomping around like Godzilla on like a bunch of sandcastles. Mm. That's really all I remember about <laughs> it. So yeah, I, I ended up seeing this and just because it had, you know, name recognition and or star value to it. And mm-hmm. it really was not what I was expecting uh, out of a comedy, especially like I don't do well with comedies, like movies generally, like I feel like comedy sort of like lives in like the 20 to 30 minute zone. So mm-hmm. like I can watch like a lot of like a, a you know, well-written sitcom. Like I can binge watch that. But with movies, I always feel like there might be like a great premise and then there's just like 60 minutes of filler. Yeah. So the comedies that I tend to like are ones that are just like sort of maybe shining a different light on the tragic CD underbelly of something. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, that's why I like Big Fan. Yeah. Because, like, it is a comedy, but it's you almost couldn't tell by watching <laughs> it. It takes a while to get there. <laughs> uh, and this is the same way. This one's a little bit more openly funny, yeah. I guess. But they do such a good job of painting that kid as just a shit-ass. He is the worst human being. He's, he's just terrible. And, and he, he's awful, and you laugh at how awful he is. Yeah. Bruce Hornsby is a fag. He's got kids, Kyle. You have a kid, mm. and you're a fag. Why? Because I like Bruce Hornsby. Yeah. Well, put on some music you like, Kyle, okay? No, I fucking hate music. You hate music? Yeah. All music? Yes. You know, the only thing queer the music are the people who like it. Like, there's no... Nothing redeemable about this guy. He hates music. Music's for fags. Movies are for fags. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yes. Here we are. It's like, yeah, the only thing like faggier than than people who make music are people who like music or something. (laughs) And it's like, wow. He just hates. Yeah. And like several times people ask him like, what are you into? And he's like, nothing. The only thing he he really enjoys doing is beating off to vaginas. (laughs) Yeah. I think might even be his terminology. And even then, I think he prefers butts. Yeah, yeah, because he talks about Scheiser porn. Yeah, yeah, Scheiser porn. He says, like... Look, you have to know that fucking pussy's virgin shit. All right, when I'm with a bitch, I just go straight for the brown eye. What? I stick my cock in her asshole. Real tasteful stuff. (laughs) He's such a jerk to everyone, and he only has, like, one sort of friend... 
who uh who's like a sweet little kid yeah but it seems like he only, he only hangs out with uh kyle that's the name of the kid because uh his mom's an alcoholic yeah <laughs> so he just needs to escape somewhere and puts up with his shit because kyle puts up with it i guess i don't know exactly the nature of their friendship well we learn pretty early on i think it's like the first scene yeah early that um kyle is experimenting with autoerotic asphyxiation and uh if if that's not a almodovar's gazpacho i don't know what is (laughs) because about 30 minutes later he dies from it yeah the movie broaches that like tough subject like how do you feel when like somebody horrible dies yeah because this kid like has zero redeeming qualities yeah he's robin williams son we should mention that yes and robin williams is this character who i didn't write down his name i don't know if you did uh lance clayton lance uh is an aspiring writer and we learn this in an opening monologue i don't find the creative process in itself rewarding enough i have to be honest i want to reach an audience this is my fifth novel i promised myself that if this one is rejected I'll give up writing. And it kind of seems like the movie's going to just be some sad sack, middle-aged white man story until his son dies from autoerotic asphyxiation. And then the movie just takes off in this whole different direction, which is a real twist. Yeah. You don't know it's coming. They do a good job of making it seem like it's going to be about the relationship between like dad, midlife crisis. Yeah. And like trying to like form a relationship with his son. And they kind of just throw that out. And, yeah. it, like, it makes that twist, like, really feel out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, but in, a, a, like, the best possible way, it doesn't feel, like, thrown at you. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, because we saw him, like, you know, with whatever scarf or belt around his neck. Beaten when, off earlier. When he was coming. <laughs> yeah. Dad, what are you doing? What are you doing? God, I was coming, you fag. When we were talking about a uh, mysterious skin during the Iraqi double feature, uh-huh. and we were talking about JGL like shedding his young actor persona uh-huh. and doing something gritty, the kid who plays Kyle was the the boy from Spy Kids. No, <laughs> yeah. <really? laughs> I actually kind of like his performance. As oh, much he's great as, as dis- the shit ass. Yeah, as despicable as he is, his performance is very good. Yeah, he. All his lines are pretty funny. Like, I laugh at them, but, like, at the same time, like, they kind of make me cringe. Like, so one of the the, uh, recurring motifs is, like, that picture of him that's always, like, that he always puts face down, and then his dad does it face up. Why do you always tip over this photo? Because I hate it. I look inbred. Which, that's one of those things, like, did they take that picture, and they're like, all right, what's an insult? Like, how, how do we call say that he's a dork but make it more offensive or was that like scripted beforehand like during the photos like all right now look inbred <laughs> click and that photo's everywhere and good for that kid too to, to be like uh i'm comfortable with this being everywhere <laughs> yeah. in this movie <laughs> he dies and it's this really sort of sad because his father is the one who finds him yeah it's well done too that moment yeah like we do actually spend a lot of time with the corpse and like the sadness that um lance is feeling over it because then he what he does is he makes it look like kyle committed suicide yes and then writes a note because he just doesn't want that to be his legacy he doesn't want to you know have his son's legacy be like michael hutchins yeah because it's like his kid's already a jerk so having 
his, you know, last moment be, you know, jerking off to... Oh, yeah, we didn't mention that part. <laughs> so, yeah, Robin Williams is, like, trying to get his kid to bond with him, essentially, at, at like, various points in the movie, and he takes him out to dinner with the girl, the, the woman that he's seeing. Yeah, uh, who happens to be the art teacher at the high school that they... Yeah, Robin all... Williams is an English teacher, yeah. uh, and she's an art teacher, and and while out on this date, uh, Kyle uses his phone to take pictures up her skirt. Yeah. And that's what he's beating off to. Yeah. Which, so it's like, it's not even good pictures. It's no. like grainy <laughs> cell phone. Yeah, on a flip phone. Oof. That adds to like the complexity of that scene because it's like the dad, Lance, comes in, finds his kid dead. Like that's, of course, heartbreaking. But it's like he died while jacking off to these lame photos of your of, of his, his girlfriend. girlfriend. Yeah. And the song that's playing the chorus is uh, Love is Simple. Yeah. And it's like he's having to like do all this stuff. I, it, it had a good contrast of like the complicated relationship that he had with his son. I know I'm hungover because I cried during that today. <laughs> oh, yeah, did you? <laughs> I teared up a little bit. I mean, it is sad because like, yeah, he's a jerk, but he didn't deserve to die. Yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't hurt anyone. He didn't, you know actively cause harm to, to another person. Robin Williams has a line. He says, yeah, I'm, like he goes over to the neighbor's house. He's like, I know my son was a jerk, but I miss him. Which is kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. One thing that I liked about it, especially on this watch, is like the movie does a good job of sort of openly acknowledging the effects of, of suicide, especially in a school, mm-hmm. because they immediately bring in that counselor, that grief counselor. Right, yeah. But that grief counselor... <laughs> As, like, nobody coming to see him. Usually in these situations, you're worried that the suicide's going to spike others because, like, when one person commits suicide, they get all that attention, and that makes other people think that that's a good idea or that, you know, all the people who hated him will, will feel bad about it then. And, mm-hmm. and the counselor's like, nobody's come to see me. <laughs> like, th- it's almost as if this affected no one. <laughs> and he almost, like, seems... I don't want to say disappointed, but he, he he's there to do a job and he's like kind of frustrated that he can't do it. Yeah. In a way. But it, it does a good job. It's like if you're a horrible person, you commit suicide. That's not necessarily going to be like revenge on the people who didn't like you. Yeah. Which I thought was was smart. Like you don't see that in movies with suicide where like the person who commits suicide and is largely met with indifference, mm-hmm. which I thought was an interesting concept. You know, Lance, of course, cares. And then uh, Claire, is that the girl's friend's name? She cares because Lance cares. Right. She kind of comes off as a jerk, though, because she's just unable to help him through that. She's like, I just don't do well with death. Yeah. And I it's mean, sort of like, he needs you. <laughs> she's not a great girlfriend, no. really, at all. <laughs> I did like when they were at dinner, though, and Kyle's like, you guys doing it? Yeah, all the time, nonstop. I'm hurting right now. And he kind of like warms up to her. Then yeah, he's like, oh, okay. kind of breaks the ice a little bit. Yeah, which makes me think, yeah, maybe that's part of the reason he's such a jerk is that he doesn't have a mom, mother figure. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, it, it it's not determined how long Robin Williams and and his wife have been separated, but mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like you do feel for Robin Williams because like as much as like a horrible person as his son was like he he does try to like have a relationship with him yeah and uh 
I feel like he is kind of a good father to him. Like he's he's really tolerant in a way that I would not be. <laughs> yeah. But then Robin Williams when he's sort of disguising the the accidental death and makes it look like a suicide types up that suicide note right. that eventually gets put in the school paper and this this changes the perception of Kyle. Yeah, suddenly people are like, "Oh, what was he like? He sounds so sensitive, you know. I we I didn't know he had this part to him." Yeah, uh, and there's a good like montage to that too uh where like the song like is a like ghost, yeah. yeah, I want to be a ghost or become a ghost or something like that. It's also pretty good. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone's projection of Kyle starts forming and like yeah. how they perceive him now or their memories of him. Yeah. It, that was a pretty good little musical montage there. That's how you can like pin something on somebody who's dead. Because, yeah. You know, they can't do anything about it. Yeah. I mean, I thought a lot of like Kurt Cobain because when he committed suicide, I remember people kind of doing that too in a mm, way like suddenly mm-hmm. he became something to people who didn't even listen to the to his music you know mm-hmm. so i don't know i was kind of thinking about that a little bit and suddenly mr clayton's poetry class is yeah. suddenly very popular yeah and i love th- that first exchange like in the poetry class when like the goth girl's like what's his sign oh he was born april 18th so Aries. I... I can't believe you didn't know that Pause real fast. That girl happens to be a redhead, and I took a little bit of offense of offense to the fact that her name is Ginger. <laughs> uh, Kyle, also a ginger, making mm-hmm. it even tougher to love a son. I mean, <laughs> maybe that's why no one was sad because obviously he didn't have a soul. So, yeah, I like. I also liked when uh, Ginger did read her poem earlier. Uh, there's like the we- period one. Yeah. <laughs> it was raining yesterday afternoon. Water dripping off the lilac bushes my mother loves. And as I sat and watched the blood pour out from between my legs and felt the pain of motherhood myself, I wondered if it would have been a boy or a girl. I like how Lance is like, uh, you know, that was obviously very personal. If you ever want to talk to me about anything, you know, <laughs> please come see me. Why? She's like, why? <laughs> uh, but just that, that first poetry class after Kyle's died, like, I, all the exchanges feel really good. Like that one burnout is like, uh, did you listen to metal? Yeah. <laughs> a little Aussie <laughs> is like, now Kyle really liked Emily Dickinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause then it shows that, uh, Lance is doing that now. He's sort of you putting things on his son. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, was she hot? <laughs> she's a Victorian. If, if you like your button down girl, she's, she was one of them. <laughs> it's funny. Cause then like, yeah, everybody's sort of that sort of spirals into like rather than asking questions about him everybody starts to claim that they knew him and that they were friends with him yeah because we have the one kid who comes out uh based on the power of kyle's note yeah but yeah at one point he's like yeah kyle and i were great friends and i'm gonna win tonight's game for him Mm -hmm. it's like no they didn't even know each other yeah you shoved him out of the way at one point yeah so it all kind of yeah turns and that's sort of our, well, I guess we're still in the second act when um, the grief counselor mentions that this suicide note maybe helps a lot of students. Like if there's anything else that Kyle could have maybe written and that could help kids not commit suicide, then that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. 
And that sort of prompts Lance to write more, like write a journal, basically, of Kyle's. And this is when it all kind of spirals out of control. So there's the uh, recurring theme that Lance likes zombie movies. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was purposeful. And that at first it was almost like Kyle was like a, a metaphorical zombie. Okay. Like after his death, he had taken on this new life. Like everyone oh, yeah. saw he, he everyone saw him in a different light and he was having a different impact on people's lives. Uh-huh. So once Lance like really starts like feeding the beast here and like starts like writing the journal and having it published and passing it out in the school, they show him in his room and he has a poster of the thing. Oh right. And to me, the thing, because it's this like alien that disguises itself as other people mm-hmm. i felt like that was it was like a moving from the zombie metaphor because now lance was disguising like kyle as this type of thing oh yeah uh i just i thought that that couldn't be an accident like they they purposely worked in the zombie stuff as like to to refer to you know a life after death yeah and then to put in the thing poster when it was like kyle was like really not what he seemed to be uh or that they were presenting something totally fictitious from what was underneath yeah i just felt like that couldn't have been an accident yeah good call there <laughs> i didn't think of that that deep i got stoned while i watched okay it, so. <laughs> i was wondering how much of the book like the journal entries basically that he writes are coming from a, a real place and how much was like him just being a fiction writer? Cause he, he, you know, he says that he writes, he's written a lot of things and he's, we see at the very beginning, he's written like five or six books, mm-hmm. novels. So those are clearly all fiction. I was just wondering, since it is such a personal thing, uh, I wonder how much of it is him just saying, I am this person right now. Well, when he goes on to Dr. Dana, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really well done segment, I think. Like, it's sort of like a Sally Jesse Raphael type show. Uh-huh. And she, you know, reads a passage out of the book that's like... Is it more important for me to be a good person or to be thought of as a good person? I'm so sick of living a life in fear of being found out for the phony I am. A life where I don't trust anyone's intentions, including my own. And that is what he's sort of struggling through. Yeah. Like, he's trying to make both him and Kyle look good, to be perceived as these as good people. Right. But when it's in actuality, yeah, like Kyle was a fucking shit fuck, <laughs> uh, and he's a liar right yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, and he's like just feeding off this post mortem fame. Right, it's a real monkey's paw situation because he's got <laughs> what he wanted. Yeah, at the beginning when they have that little fantasy sequence where he's talking about how like he wants to like write something that like touches people. I've always dreamed of being a famous author of creating an important work, something that connected with people and helped them as they suffered through the human condition. Like, he's saying, like, these, like, noble things that he, like, wants to connect with mankind through his writing, but the fantasy sort of plays something different. Like, A, he's, like, at a bookstore doing, like, a signing, but it's like he's still in his pajamas in this bookstore, and the cover of the book is just his face, and all the people who've come for a signing are just women. Are hot women, yeah. (laughs) And you kind of get the feeling it's like, yeah, he, he maybe, like, does have a passion for writing, but, like, it seems like he really just wants to be, like, rich and famous from it more than anything. Yeah. 
He doesn't want to do it to make a living. Like he wants to do it for glory. And I mean, he gets his, he gets that. Yeah. In a way, like vicariously through Kyle. Yeah. And so it's kind of a hollow victory for him because nobody thinks it's him that's doing it. And that's what he really wants. Yeah. I don't care for how it ends. Like, thematically, it wraps itself up in, like, a logical manner. Yeah. But I kind of feel like it's a little too featherweight for, like, the the gravity that is the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. Because the movie does such a good job of, like, dealing with these, like, heady, dark subjects. And, like, these taboos that, like... You know, and like sort of unknown unknowns. Like we yeah. don't know how we would feel if someone close to us that we kind of hated died. Like that's a difficult emotion to explore. Yeah. And I just kind of feel like the ending doesn't do justice to the weight of the whole rest of the movie. I'm not the biggest proponent of the ending either. I realized this time around that, you know, he... he, he Admits everything in the library. You guys didn't like Kyle. But that's okay. I didn't either. I loved him. He was my son. But he was also a douchebag. And then he leaves and basically runs through the hallway to Queens and David Bowie's under pressure. Mm-hmm. He's taking off his clothes dives into the pool naked except for socks and i was realizing this time around that that whole sequence is just like the first time he's sort of been able to exhale since discovering his son dead okay because it's been a lot he's been like building this lie since he came home and was and felt that shock you know Mm -hmm. so it's like even as he's healing from the trauma of seeing his son he still has to keep up this charade mm-hmm. you know so and then finally once he just gets it all out in, in the air like this is his mo- his first time he can breathe again basically mm-hmm. and then it like the you know falling action at the end is very very quick he basically goes home and becomes kind of friends with andrew yeah and uh the neighbor lady they watch a zombie movie and eat pop brownies yeah <laughs> Kind of a happy little ending, but uh, and I, I do like the the moral of it. I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up all alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is ending up with people who make you feel all alone. Which is definitely something that I, that I subscribe to. Yeah, and like they just had like this little ragtag bunch of misfit friends there at the end, but like they were all just actually doing stuff that they enjoyed instead of putting up a front for other people yeah so and they all had kind of like secrets you know yeah she uh the neighbor lady is a hoarder yeah and uh you know andrew's mom is an alcoholic and so you know they all kind of have that in common Mm -hmm. in a way but i i hear what you're saying the it it doesn't it kind of wraps up a little too neatly like does he get fired from his job like what what are the cons what are the consequences of that of something like that you know we don't really get to see what happens yeah and, and it's just an ending that i just don't feel has the the weight that the whole rest of the movie really seems to have because mm-hmm. the movie deals with like a lot of like tough subject matter like up front like just facing it head on yeah and i don't know it kind of i just feel like it, it was a, a tepid little ending for a otherwise meaty movie yeah 
and that's one thing I like a lot about Sleeping Dogs Lie, too. I, I kind of, like, put these two in, in the same category where um, the execution is maybe not as great as the subject matter of both of these films. I really like that he takes these ideas head on and, like, we have to think about these things, too. But, yeah, both movies kind of have this sort of, like, not quite good enough you know like it needs to be a little more thought through maybe or something i don't know there is still a lot to like to this movie oh no i like really up until like just that that climax i would say Mm -hmm. i thoroughly enjoyed the whole movie yeah yeah i think it's kind of a feat to make something this difficult to think about uh a real like entertaining movie Mm -hmm. it kind of just like breezes by and i'll say that the bobcat has some like directing chops when kyle and like the the blonde chick and like her i don't know if it was her boyfriend or what but uh we're in the principal's office uh-huh. and just the way that like the the camera kind of caught the conversation where it was like uh they had like the three people in a row kyle was closest to the camera and like the focus would change depending on who was talking oh, yeah. that was really like dynamically shot like yeah. it was a good way just to have like Two, I mean, only two people talked, I think, in that scene. I don't think the girl said anything. Um, but just to have, like, the camera focus and go back and forth just was a nice visual way to capture that conversation. Yeah. I also really liked the New Yorker magazine yes. scene. Like, it's just, it sort of feels like a sketch show <laughs> after a sketch comedy thing after a while where it's just sort of, like, more and more people just keep coming in to be like, the New Yorker? <laughs> well, good for you. Hey, did you hear about that? He's in the New Yorker. Mike got published in the New Yorker. You know what I'm saying? Uh, May I see it? Yeah, sure. It's about racism. Dog. Now, don't go getting too famous on it. <laughs> What's that? Mike published an article in the New Yorker. Take a look at that. Oh, right on. You dog. You dog. Yeah. And if you watch the blocking in that scene, the more people come in, like they they'll literally pass the magazine in front of Robin Williams. Oh yeah. So he's literally obscured by this article. <laughs> it's funny. It's, yeah. It's dark, but uh, I don't know. I love that. You want to think you would feel happy for someone in that situation, but he's just so like, fuck. I tried so hard. Yeah. <laughs> and you just get nothing. Yeah. I guess while we're talking about Robin Williams is really good in this. I always like it when he plays a little bit more subdued. Mm-hmm. Uh, Birdcage would have to be probably like my, my favorite of his roles, but this would also be up there because he's real restrained in this one. Yeah. I really, there's one part where he's, uh, he's high and he's going in to talk to oh, yeah. Kyle and uh, he just, he just does the right amount of high, <laughs> but like genuinely wanting to, you know, talk to his son why don't we do something together tomorrow? Why? Does it feel bad? Yeah. No, I mean, it'd be just fun to do something together. He plays stoned really well, I guess is what I'm saying. It's good acting. Yeah. You know, he was one of those actors that, like, kind of like Meryl Streep, where it's like, there's just not enough movies that I care about. Mm-hmm. Like, how many times am I going to watch, you know, The World According to Garp? You mean you don't watch Jack every fiscal quarter? <laughs> Oh, Franny Forco, how you fell. <laughs> uh, Bicentennial Man. I still have never seen that. <laughs> I've never seen Patch Adams. Uh, uh, one Hour Photo Booth. Just One Hour Photo. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that He, he make... works at a real like studio or something like I that. I don't think people would use the One Hour Photo <laughs> Booth very often. 
Yeah, him playing a villain was always fun. I haven't seen One Hour Photo since it was in theaters, but yeah, uh, isn't he the bad guy in Insomnia too? The, the Christopher Nolan, Nolan one, yeah, yeah, he's good in that too. That's true. Playing opposite Al Pacino, yeah. Wow, I didn't really ever piece that together. <laughs> All star cast. <laughs> so okay, I realized that the two movies I've chosen for this season so far have been dark comedies about high school teachers. Oh yeah, you have. I did, and I'm, I guess I'm on a theme suddenly. <laughs> uh, but I guess I was kind of thinking about how these two relate to each other, and I wonder election in this one yeah do you think it's sort of a stereotype to only like what are some other movies about high school teachers that aren't you either have like dark comedies or you have like dangerous minds <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. <gasps> now i'm thinking like it's hollywood just depicting high school teachers is really sad sad sacks i don't know i'm trying to think of like other movies about school teachers and of course the first one that, that comes to mind is uh you know the the, the movie that taught us that Shakespeare is just another way to rap. <laughs> yeah, it kind of shows like if you're teaching high school, like something didn't go right in your life. Yeah. Whereas if they're a college professor, then they're these cosmopolitan, cultural, <laughs> savvy sort of. That's something to aspire to. Yeah, but yeah. If you if you're teaching in public schools, then it's like, yeah, something something didn't go according to plan. Yeah. So I don't know. That just seems like a a trope now. Yeah. Based on these two movies. <laughs> yeah, I can't I'm I'm struggling to think of a movie where it's like you're a high school teacher and and everything went well for you. Yeah, everything's fine. I am too. But who'd want to watch that, right? No, that's yeah. not a movie. So, there's a there's a moment when Kyle is checking out his old lady neighbor mm. as she's like taking off her top. And at one point she like stuff something between her boobs yeah i didn't know what that was though i don't either what was she doing (laughs) yeah i'm not entirely sure i don't know enough about boobs to know the maintenance required yeah i i the only thing i could think of was it was her inhaler because then later we see her and she's like i can barely breathe and like oh yeah is that where she's just gonna keep it she just oh yeah maybe puts it in there um can you hold things with your boobs (laughs) Yeah, haven't you seen The Breakfast Club? Molly Ringwald puts oh, on lipstick. Yeah, fair enough. With her tiny little boobs that somehow hold a lipstick container. I don't know what they're <laughs> called. A parcel? What are they? Uh, this might be a question to chuck over to uh, the sweeties at the Large Marge Sent Us podcast. Oh, yeah. Because they said they tried that and it was very hard. Well, I would imagine so. I can't even get my neck down that far. I'll bet if you... if. I'll bet I could do it if I had, like, a pencil one like she had. There's a little, like, arc for Andrew that we didn't talk too much about, but it's, like, after Kyle dies, Andrew is sort of, like... He kind of knows what's up. Yeah, he kind of knows what's going on. And and just before uh, Lance leaves to go to be on the Dr. Dana show, he comes over and he's, like... I don't know. I read the book and it's it just doesn't sound like his voice. Like there wasn't any fisting or, or belching or, or, or Robin Williams goes, It is a little light in the felching area, you're right, but I think it's there, Andrew, and it's in its own way. Look well, Andrew's also like, I mean, no offense, but Kyle was kinda dumb. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I don't know. It's I I feel like we've covered it. I just uh I feel like it's a little hard to talk about. It's a movie you just kind of got to experience. Mm-hmm. If you're keen on wanting to laugh about teenage... Su- or 
No, that, it was accidental death by erotic asphyxiation. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I would highly recommend it. And I'm glad, because I don't think I would have rewatched this myself anytime soon. Mm, okay. So I'm glad that you chose this one, because gave me a chance to reevaluate it. And yeah. It holds up after all these years. Good. I'm glad to hear. I think it did, too. Father's Day is coming up, so let this be your reminder to be nice to your dad. You didn't ask to be born, but neither did he. Yeah. So. Yeah, profound. <laughs> What's come? What do we got next? <sighs> Getting back to the good stuff. <laughs> I'm going to see your world's greatest dad and raise you a mother's boys. Oh. This is early 90s. Jamie Lee Curtis as the uh, jilted divorcee who just wants her family back. Uh-huh. You probably never heard of it because it's not great. No, I have not. <laughs> I think I think you'll you'll like it, not for the the reasons that the cast and crew hope you like it for. <laughs> and uh, we will have a special guest joining us next week. Uh, uh, one Mr. John Coons okay. will be here. Uh, he's a general bon vivant, and he does a, a great number of things in his life. And I'm sure he will be able to explain it better than I can. What well, should we plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? Yes, please. Go to our new website, xratedmovies.com, and you can find literally everything we've ever done there. Yep, you can listen to episodes, you can check out our bio, all that junk. Also, why don't you uh, head on over to iTunes and uh, or Apple Podcasts and give us a few stars or a rating. You know, my birthday was uh, just this week, and uh, just call it my birthday present. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter, at xratedmovies. Mm-hmm. We tweet stuff it's twitter what the fuck do you think we do with it (laughs) we're also on facebook what the fuck do you think we do with that (laughs) fucking follow us (laughs) you can email us because duh that's what you do with an email (laughs) x.rated.movies at Mm gmail.com it's the hangover speaking (laughs) suddenly i need a nap i think that's all of it right that's all our junk i'm sure it is great well thanks so much for listening And uh, we'll see you here next week for Mother's Boy. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.